kids up through fifth grade, you're welcome to head to your classrooms now. Rama is back there to walk you down. The rest of you, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 5. Hopefully the book of James is being, becoming well-worn in your Bibles by this point. We're going to be in verses 13 to 18 this morning. So turn there, James 5, 13 to 18. You're going to want to have it in front of you, either if you got the book or on your phone. Uh, either way, um, hopefully you're going there now. We have uh, this week and then next week, and then we will have uh, preached all the way through the book of James, believe it or not. It's been, I think, since September, the beginning of September last year that we started in James. It's been a blessing for me as we've preached through it. I've been challenged. I've been convicted. Um, and uh, next week we'll kind of do a little bit. We'll, we'll preach on the last two verses and kind of do a little bit of an overview uh, to kind of remember some of the things that the Lord has shown us uh, in the book of James. Uh, this week, this morning, uh, we're talking about verses 13 to 18. So I'm going to read them, and then we are going to pray together. So look with me in your Bibles, James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. It says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you uh, for this time once again to be together worship, sing that song, to confess together, all I have is Christ. And that's the gospel right there, God, that we confess. That's all we have. That is the only thing to our name that is worth anything in eternity. Everything else is going to pass away. We don't come together and we say, I have Christ and my good works, I have Christ and my possessions, I have Christ and my health. I have. No, it's just all I have is Christ. Without Christ, we are in a hopeless position. And if Christ had not been raised, your word tells us we are the most pe people most to be pitied. We thank you that Jesus has been raised we thank you that we can talk about him, worship him, grow in the knowledge and love for him together as your church. We pray that as we look to your word this morning, as we spend time in prayer, um, that you would just be in this place, God. Work among us as your people for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but we as a church have a whole lot of things going on right now, like big things going on right now, right? Like we just talked about this morning a little bit. We're in the middle of this capital campaign to make major improvements on our building, which is a big deal, right? And if that was all we had going on right now, that would be a lot, but that's not even close to all that we have going on right now. If that wasn't enough, we're also in the process of completely, as a church, overhauling our discipleship strategy, the way that we do discipleship. It's a process that us as pastors and deacons are like right in the thick of right now. And that's a big deal as well, I'm preparing to roll out some pretty big changes to the discipleship culture of our church. So those are two huge things going on at the same time. Capital campaign and major changes to the way that we do discipleship. If that wasn't enough, we're also preparing to send out a missionary from our body. Rayma, our children's director, is uh, preparing uh, to go to the mission field. And we've talked about that when we hired her, that she was hired as kind of an interim. We didn't know how long the process would be, uh, but we were, hired her with the thought to, that she would use her time here both to serve the body, to grow in her relationships with the body, and as a uh, 
testing ground and a preparation for her uh, to potentially go to the mission field. We've got some really exciting announcements about that that will be coming up in the next few weeks. But that's a big deal, even on its own, sending out a missionary. And then on top of that, um, it's a bittersweet process because uh, we're going to, uh, once she is sent out, we're going to have to hire a new children's director as well. And if those three things weren't enough, we have the, all the ministry that's going on at the church, including the Easter outreach event that we talked about and a couple of mission trips that we're preparing for this summer. And, oh, yeah, Easter is in three weeks or so as well. Is it three weeks? Yeah, it's three weeks. It's a lot. I don't know about you. I found myself on Tuesday in my office kind of thinking about all these things and having the weight of all these things come on me. And I'm starting to feel a little bit anxious a little bit overwhelmed all these things. I was worrying that this was too much for us to take on all at once. There's a, a verse that I memorized in the, I think it's the New Living Translation when I was a kid, which is, um, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers. I think that's the best translation of that verse. It's uh, just, don't worry about anything, pray about everything, tell God your needs, and don't forget to thank him when he answers. It's a great verse, but I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to get that completely the opposite. Don't pray about anything. Instead, worry about everything. Anyone relate to that? That's my first natural instinct oftentimes when I'm feeling overwhelmed is to worry so I was in my office this morning, or this week, on a Tuesday, if I'm honest, just feeling a little bit anxious, thinking, God, this might just be too much for our church to go through all these things at once. And the Lord reminded me in that moment, he was near to me, he was kind to me, and he reminded me of two things, kind of simultaneously, as I'm sitting in my office thinking, is this too much for us, God? The first was this. The first thing he reminded me of is that all these things that we're talking about are huge blessings, that we even can talk about these things. These aren't major crises that we're going through as a church. It's a huge blessing to be in a financial place, to be able to even think about making improvements to our building that we've needed to make for 20-some years, especially when we think about where we were in 2019 and uh, $300,000, over $300,000 in debt and, and losing money fast. And the Lord has brought us, out of, brought us out of that place. And it's a huge blessing to be able to do that. It is a huge blessing for us to be able to strategize and pray and seek the Lord for a new discipleship process as a church. Uh, two years ago, we were just trying to figure out how to uh, download Zoom on our computers so we could somehow connect that way. And now we're talking about discipleship and doing it face-to-face -to -face together. That's a huge blessing. It's a huge blessing to be able to send out a missionary from our body, even as it is bittersweet because we're sending out one of our best. It is a blessing to do that. And on and on and on it goes. It almost feels like it's a seed that was planted in the church three years ago, and it had to sit there for a long time but it's blooming now and it's blooming in all sorts of directions and now as the gardeners we got a lot to handle because it's coming up but these are good things that are happening so that's the first thing the Lord reminded me of what a blessing that all of these things are even as I feel overwhelmed instinctually it's a blessing and then there's a second thing that the Lord reminded me of which is that we need to pray we need to pray these things are too big for us to handle on our own and uh, why in the world would we want to handle them on our own anyway. We've got the God of the universe. We all have the Holy Spirit. Those of us who are in Christ have the Holy Spirit. So we need to pray. And so I was thinking about it this week, and I thought to myself, man, we really should have a time of prayer in our service at some point. And I'd love to do that this week. And I thought to myself, I wonder what if, if there's anything in our passage that would lend itself to that, or if maybe our passage is short enough that we can do a time of prayer afterwards. And so I turned to the passage, and I read it, and the whole thing is about prayer. <laughs> The whole thing, as I just read. And I think the Lord's trying, telling me something. He wants us to pray. He wants us to pray. And uh, it was no accident that I was having that moment in the Lord, with the Lord this week, and then read the, uh, this passage, and it's all about prayer. So he wants us to pray. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to do two things. First of all, we're going to talk about this passage just for a little bit. I'm going to give an abbreviated sermon, at least the best that Pastor Mike can do with an abbreviated sermon. going to give an abbreviated sermon, and then we're going to put it in practice by having a time of prayer together. And so we'll talk more about what that means in a few minutes. But first, we really do need to talk about this text. James is wrapping up his letter, and he, in the end of his letter, he's talking about the importance of prayer. 
But in true James fashion, he couldn't just make it kind of simple and straightforward and easy for us to understand, as I would have hoped in the conclusion of his letter. There's some really difficult things uh, that we need to wrestle in this passage. We need to talk about them. A couple of difficulties in this text. So we're going to talk about those. And as always, when we come to a passage of Scripture that's difficult to understand, we just need to be real about it. Some passages we read are easy to understand. They're easy to see. I know how that applies to my life. Other passages, like, Lord, I don't know why that's in the Bible. I don't understand that. When we get to that place, we always need to remember that the problem isn't the text. Whose problem is it when uh, we can't understand it? Is it the Bible's problem or is it our problem? It's our problem, right? The Bible says, just a reminder, church, hopefully this encourages you, the Bible says exactly what God wants it to say. Every word that you have is exactly the word that God wants to be there. So the Bible says what God wants to say. The problem is our human ability to understand it. So just like any time we come across difficulties in a text, we need to approach it with humility, remembering God's God, we're not. We need to have a desire to understand what it says. So as we read this text, there's a couple things, especially as I first read it, there's a couple things that stood out to me. I was kind of like, I don't know what to do with that. The first one was this, the idea of elders anointing with oil, right? Verse 14, it says, if anyone's sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Why? What, why the elders? Why, why are we anointing with oil? Like, what does that do? And that's not something we really do very often as a church. Is, is that uh, something we should be doing more, right? So why, why anointing with oil? And then the second one, which is even, I think, more difficult than this, is verse 15. It says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him. What on earth does that mean? The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. So those are the two things we're going to tackle this morning. And before we dive in, I just want to say one more thing. is that There's even more in this passage that's hard to understand, and we're not going to answer every question in this text. And because I already promised you an abbreviated sermon, and I uh, don't want to make our children's workers revolt because we keep them in the classrooms until 2 o'clock, we're just going to keep it at these questions. But there's more in here that we're not going to address. And so if you have more questions, if there's things that uh, you uh, have uh, just wondering about. I would love for you to contact me and I'll send you the resources that I read through as I kind of studied this week. And if you want to talk to me about it, be happy to talk to you about it as well. But just on the front end, I just want to say we're not going to address everything in this text. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about two wrong ways to apply this text and then two appropriate ways to apply this text. So what are some wrong applications of this text? Verse 14, I'll read it again. As anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So that question is, what do we do with that idea of oil? And the first wrong application of this text would be to think that there's something magical about anointing with oil that uh, doesn't happen in other prayer. And so this idea of like some sort of there's a magic oil that you can use to in healing that or in prayer that can help heal somebody. And some of you essential oils people are like, hey, be careful, Pastor Mike. There are magic oils out there. You haven't tried my eucalyptus blend. That'll heal everything, right? My mom used to be one of these essential oils people, and there was one time I had a, like a nasty bug bite, and it was kind of swelling up, and she said, oh, I know what to do. Come here. And before I even knew what was happening, she had slapped this like peppermint oil or something on it, which smelled great and burned like the Dickens. And I was, what did you just do? She said, it's going to work. And it didn't work. But anyways, that's, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. The question is, what's the, what is this idea? It's not talking about essential oils. What's the idea of praying with oil? anointing with oil. Like I said, the first wrong application is that there's something magical about using anointing oil in prayer. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to anoint with oil in prayer. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But I'm talking about the idea that you need to be anointed with some sort of oil that's going to make your prayer more 
effective. And again, this is difficult, and we just don't have time to dive into all these issues. But at its core, what I think from the context, what we can tell in this passage is that it's talking about somebody who's physically ill, and they're unable to get out of bed even. Like they're, so they need to call the elders and have the elders come pray over them. That's my understanding of this text, is they're so sick, they can't get out of bed, and so they call for the elders of the church, and they ask them to, them to pray over them and anoint them with oil. So again, what's the oil thing? Well, there's one other instance in the New Testament that talks about anointing with oil. So normally you'd want to go to the other instance in the Bible and you kind of learn more about it. But unfortunately, that passage doesn't really give us any more idea of like what the oil is actually doing either. So I read a whole lot of arguments about it this week, a whole lot of different opinions. And the best that I can tell is that anointing with oil, when you pray over someone and anoint them with oil, it's a symbolic act that like consecrates or sets them apart in the sight of the Lord being prayed for. It's honestly very similar to the way that we might, if we're praying over someone, that we might have them come forward and like all lay hands on that person. Right? There's nothing we think is magical about laying hands on that person, but we do it as a way to consecrate them or set them apart as we pray over them. And so, like I said, there's many different views on this, but that's the best that I can figure out. And let me just say, as pastors, this is absolutely something that we would do for you if you asked. If you were sick and couldn't get out of bed and wanted prayer and wanted us to come and pray over you and anoint you with oil, this is something we've done in the past as pastors and deacons, and we would certainly do this for you. So there's nothing at all wrong about anointing with oil. Don't take that um, as what I'm saying. In fact, maybe this is something that we should even do more often. But what I'm saying is it's not the oil, it's the setting apart, it's the laying on hands, and it's not the oil that does the work, it's obviously God who is doing the working in our prayer. Well, there's another wrong application of this passage that I think is even more dangerous, which is the idea of faith healing. Look at verse 15. It says, The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, there are uh, many people who have taken this passage to justify the idea that God will always heal you as long as you have enough faith. There are whole prayer, whole healing ministries that have been started on this idea that God will, will heal you if you, someone who has the gift of healing prays over you as long as you have enough faith to be healed. And if you have enough faith, God will always heal you. And I just am going to speak very frankly about these things, and I'm just going to be blunt and say that that idea has done a lot of damage to many people who are followers of Jesus. I have a good friend uh, who, uh, when we were in college, his mom had Lou Gehrig's disease, and toward the end of her life, they, they'd done everything. They'd, you know, been praying all the time, and, um, and they'd gone to kind of the different experimental treatments, and nothing was working, and, and my friend's older brother really wanted them to go uh, to one of the, there was like one of these healing ministries. They're traveling, and they were in town, and they wanted, he wanted them to go and to one of these healing ministries. Say, well, maybe, maybe something, they're just desperate, right? Maybe they can do something to save my mom. And so they went, and she was labored to get there, right? She was, um, could hardly walk, and uh, they prayed over her, and she wasn't healed. And they were made to believe that it was because they didn't have enough faith, <laughs> Let me just say, like, that makes me want to cry even thinking about it right now. Like, it's just so hurtful, the pain of losing your mom to a disease like that, and then to be told, God would heal your mom, but it's your fault because you don't have enough faith. It's just, it's demonic, honestly. It's wrong. It's not true. And, uh, and so don't believe that. Someone never tells you that uh, God would heal you if you just had enough faith. It's, just don't believe it. It's not biblical. First of all, this is the passage that they used to justify that. First of all, you just say out front, the person who's sick isn't the one praying in this passage. It's the elders of the church who are praying over them. So to say that the person who's sick doesn't have enough faith and that's why they're not being healed, it doesn't even make sense in the context of this passage. And then second of all, all you have to do is look anywhere else in the Scripture to see that that simply is not the case. The Apostle Paul talks about 
He prayed three times that God would remove the thorn from his flesh. We don't know what the thorn in his flesh was, but he prayed three times that God would remove it. What did God say? I would remove it if you had enough faith. No. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I don't think the Apostle Paul's problem was that he didn't have enough faith to have the thorn in his flesh removed. So let me just say, this is a, a delicate topic, but because we have many people in our church who maybe you struggle with chronic illness, and you've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and, prayed, and God has not removed that. Or maybe you've seen a loved one die, and you prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and God didn't answer your prayer in the way that you wanted. And what do we do with that? We can't just be trite and say, well, God has a reason, right? That's not helpful. It's hurtful. We do say along with Job, God has given and God has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And we don't understand it. His ways are higher. Sometimes it's God's will to heal us miraculously. And sometimes it's not. If he chooses to heal us miraculously, it wasn't because of my faith. It's because of our great God. And if he chooses not to heal it wasn't because of my lack of faith. It's because his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So we cannot take this passage to mean that if you just have enough faith, God will heal you. That's done so much damage to the church and it's just simply not true. So what do we do with this passage then? Two quick applications before we move into a time of prayer. First of all, this passage tells us to pray in all circumstances. Pray in all circumstances. It's just right there. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise, right? Our response to anything, good or bad in our life, just instinctually should be to pray. You're suffering? What should you do? Pray. You're, feeling, you're in a time that you're just being so poured out by, on by God's blessing. What should you do? Praise God and thank him for that. It sounds obvious, right? But how often truly is that our first response probably not as often as we like like I said my first response is worry about everything and don't pray about every anything sometimes you know, I just think our like instinctual response like when you go to the doctor and they hit your knee with that hammer thingy and your knee kicks up right you don't go to the doctor and they what I don't know what's that thing called I don't know the hammer thingy right anyways he doesn't hit your knee with it and then you think all right I'm going to kick my knee up here in a few seconds. All right, now it's time, right? It just happens, right? It's like, boom, you don't even think about it. Man, that should be our first instinct whenever anything in our life comes our way. Is God, I'm going to go to my knees right now and go to you in prayer. I want to be that way. Some of you are amazing at that, and I just look at you and think like, man, God, make that true of me. And I'm getting closer Certainly. I think about five years ago, how much more I worried about things before I would go to the Lord in prayer. Now I'm getting better, but man, I just, I just want to get to a place even more. It's like anything happens, boom, right now, my first thought is going to be give it to the Lord. It's his to deal with. It's not mine. Give it to the Lord. Anytime I feel like, man, what a blessing this is. I should thank God for it, right? Often do I pray for somebody who's sick to get better and then they just get, and then God answers that prayer, then do I thank the Lord for that? How often do we come to him and praise him for the blessings that he's given us as well? So that's our first application, be a people of prayer more and more. Like I said, some of you, as I look at you right now, I'm just like, man, you guys are really amazing at this. And I think we can all grow in this even more. So that's the first application. Here's a second application. Pray for others. And ask others to pray for you. Pretty simple. Let's write from our text. Verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Again, there's things in this passage right now that we don't have time to explain. But the overall point is that confession and prayer for one another should just be regular habits of the church. Regular habits. Confession is hard. We don't do it very often, right? I think about the, even when we pray over the prayer cards, there have been a few instances where somebody has written as a prayer request, I'm really struggling with this sin, I want deliverance, 
please pray that God would deliver me from that. But it doesn't happen very often, and I understand why, but man, I think it should. I think that should just be a regular thing. We can just pray for one another. We struggle with this idea of shame, right? Like if, if people really knew what I was battling, if they really knew like the depth of my sin and what was in my heart, they might reject me. That's what shame is. Like if somebody really knew me, they'd reject me. God really knows you. He hasn't rejected you. So you can't be afraid that other people are going to reject us if they really knew who we were. That's what the church is all about. There's certain places in your life where you got to keep it all together, right? There's like at your job, you don't want to always just like be a complete mess. And maybe if you're a teacher, you don't maybe always want to be a complete mess in front of your students. There's certain places in your life where you've got to keep it all together. Guess what? Church ain't one of them. <laughs> Seriously. If you can't come and with the body of Christ and be a complete mess because your life is a complete mess, what are we even doing, <laughs> right? Keeping up a facade with one another? Confession and prayer should just be this part of this regular rhythm of who we are. It's a key component of a healthy church. And not only confessing sin, but confessing burdens, confessing struggles. Especially when you don't know what the way out is going to be and you don't have the answers. Just say, this is what it is. We like to wrap things up in a neat and tidy bow. Life doesn't work like that. Church is not the place where we need to be pretending like we have it all together. It should be the safest place for you to reveal what's really on your heart. That's what I want this church to be. Let's make this place a place where we are free to share our struggles and our burdens because we're a family called to love each other and build one another up. And what better time to put that into practice than right now? So what we're going to do in just a minute, I'm going to have you gather together in groups of like five to ten or so people. We're just going to get together in groups. If you want to get up and move somewhere else, if you want to unhook your chairs and turn them around, I, I would recommend doing that. Uh, but we're going to do that. And I understand, too, the, um, the temptation to just kind of want to sit by yourself and pray silently. But let, I want this to be a time of corporate prayer where we're praying together. So let's get in groups. If you see someone sitting by themselves, you can ask them to join your group with you. And we're going to spend some time in prayer. So you should have all received a prayer card as you walked in. Raise your hand if you don't have a prayer card. We have a few people. So if we can keep your hands up and if we can uh, get those into people's hands. Um, and uh, we're just going to spend some time in prayer. So uh, because our passage is talking about praying for each other's needs, I'm going to give you about two minutes to, pray, to, to share at the very beginning, just very briefly, if there's anything going on in your life that somebody can be praying for. And then uh, at the very beginning, uh, you're, we're going to do this. Uh, and then after that, excuse me, uh, we're going to have just time to go through each one of these things and pray. And it'll be on the screen uh, what kind of we're praying for in that time. And then you're going to hear a sound, too, when it's time to transition to the next thing. JR, can you play that sound? Nope, not the sound. That's the sound. Church Bells 2 is what it's called. And uh, so that's the sound that will be played. And then you move on to the next thing. So the first thing we're going to do is pray this war prayer. It's from Every Man a Warrior. It just means worship God admit that you've fallen short, and request his help. So that's when we're going to pray for the needs of, every, of the people in your group and any needs that come up. And then you'll hear the sound, and then you'll pray for our discipleship strategy, and then you hear the sound, pray for the Mission Forward campaign, and so on. This will be probably about a 20-minute process to get through all of it. And like I said, we want this to be a time you're just going around, you're praying out loud uh, for these things, and we want to do this together as a church. It's a little different. We don't do this very often as a church, but... Uh, like I said, the Lord made it clear he wants us to pray together this week. So go ahead right now. Take about 60 seconds and get up and go and get into groups. Keep your hand up if you don't have a prayer guide. And uh, get into groups of 5 to 10 or so. If you want it to be bigger than that, that's great. But get into groups, and then we're going to go before the Lord, and we're going to pray.
you're in your groups now, go ahead and take about two minutes. If there's any needs, any burdens on people's heart, uh, go ahead and just share what you need prayer for. And then after two minutes, you'll hear the sound, and then we're going to begin and pray.
Heavenly Father, God, I'm uh, loath to even um, cut this time off right now. It's been such a precious and sweet time, not only praying, but hearing the voices of um, our church lifting up uh, our needs, crying out to you. Lord, for everything that was uh, spoken today and even for those things that were unspoken, um, we thank you that you care about these things more than we do. That you knew our needs before we uttered them. God, your uh, eye is on the sparrow. And we know that you're watching over us as well. You're providing for us. You're taking care of us, Lord. So we just pray um, that you would break bondage to sin. God, we pray that you would um, heal those who are sick. We pray that you would help those who are hurting, comfort those who are anxious, be near to those who mourn and grieve, Lord. And we pray for all these things going on in our church right now. You know all of them, and a blessing that they are to be thinking about a capital campaign and new discipleship structure and sending out a missionary and doing Easter outreach, and, uh, and on and on it goes, God. We just thank you for the blessing of that. We praise you. We ask that you would be in all of these things. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you sent us your son. Thank you that we get to celebrate his death and resurrection in just a few weeks at Easter. Lord, we pray if anyone walks into our building in those services and doesn't know you, God, that they would know you, that you would bring them to knowledge of your son. Help them to know that there is nothing better in this whole universe than relationship with Jesus. God, help us to know that as well. Thank you for the ways that you bless us and take care of us. We ask that you would draw near. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.